What's up, movie lovers? Welcome to episode number 42 of Ready Play Movies. I'm your host, Louis Menchaca, and today is October 26th, 2021. And joining me today is absolutely no one, yet again. Um, yeah, today is October 26th. It's Tuesday. This is the day I'm recording it and also the day I'm posting it to the audio listeners. So you'll be hearing this later tonight. Um, and as far as the, uh, the, the video watchers, of course, you guys will get it one week from now as well, just like normal. And, um, yeah, I got, okay. Of course you guys uh, know the usual spiel about, you know, your, your weekly source for, everything that's new and exciting in the world of entertainment. And I didn't see all that stuff. And here's the reason why the first order of business is housekeeping. I am, it's very sad for me to announce this, but unfortunately I will be ending the podcast. Ready play movies will be no more. So the time for this podcast is about to, is basically sunsetting. And, um, and before you guys go and, you know, tweet at Troy and, you know, don't number one, don't, uh, it's not Troy's fault that the show is ending um and just to give you a little bit a guys of insight i was already planning on ending the show um much further down the line like later like i told troy i was like hey i want to end the podcast and uh, uh because of troy's work situation uh we first unless she agreed to you know continue on and uh meet my original deadline for ending the show Unfortunately, because of Troy's work situation changed very suddenly, very drastically, um, I am now forced to end it sooner than I was initially anticipating. So it's not his fault that the show is ending. Um, you know, I brought him on the show to be the talent, uh, to not do any kind of like co-hosting. He never hosted a show. He never he never researched or did a doc or anything like that. And that was that was how I was able to convince him to do the show. You know, it's just like, hey, I'll do everything. Don't worry, just show up. And then he did, and he did his part. And so that's, uh, it's really, it is really exhausting and tiring to to do the show uh, basically by yourself. So I was already planning on ending the show, and uh, I'm kind of, it, it kind of does feel like a bit, of, a bit of a weight off my shoulders not having to worry about doing the show anymore. Um, you know, it's a little hectic right now because I'm planning one more show. We're going to do one more podcast next week. Uh, to wrap up the show, and Troy will be here. Uh, we had to change the day that we normally record, work with his schedule in order for us to do a, a proper send-off, a proper goodbye to the podcast. And uh, well, I'll just—it's not going to be a normal show next week. It's gonna—we're not going to do news. We're not going to do charts or anything like that. We're just going to sort of reminisce and just sort of like have a conversation and and say goodbye. That's really all we need. That's all we really can do. We'll do some segments. We'll do some topic of the shows and stuff like that. But otherwise it really won't be like uh you know what's in the news uh kind of thing especially because we have to pre-record it or early um given the scheduling thing so we probably won't even know what's really in the news next week anyways uh so with that being said yeah it's it's uh it's been a ride and uh it's uh, it's obviously not going to be the end of me at level, level one gaming i'm still part of ready press play i mean that's like the main show this was the spin-off show anyways uh ready press play is going to still be on saturdays and uh, uh, for the Level 1 Gaming YouTube channel. Uh, still on Fridays for the audio listeners. Still on time. Uh, and um, what else is there to say? Um, just to help you guys, or just to say not, uh, this isn't goodbye, you know, for all you Level 1 people. Um, I am in the early, early, I mean, very early, like extremely early. Like I can't even, I probably shouldn't even be saying anything, but very early talks uh, to join another Level 1 
uh, gaming YouTube, uh, or sorry, another level one gaming podcast. Let's just uh, go ahead and end it at that. So I don't even know if I got the gig. I really don't. I probably even be messing myself up even just saying it publicly, but um, I hope to get the gig. And uh, you guys at Level 1 Gaming will be seeing more of me anyways. So uh, hopefully two times a week, not just one time a week. So uh, that being said, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just do one last episode. I'm going to do a normal run of show. I'm gonna, I have my segments all planned out and all my, my, my stories picked out for the week. I'm going to try to you know, keep it at about an hour again. Um, I don't want to you know, hurt myself you know, or like tire my voice out. Uh, like I did the first time when I did the solo show. Plus, you know, it's I'm only just one person. I can only really be entertaining by myself anyways for so long before you guys get bored. So I'll go ahead and just keep the show moving on. So first, thing, the first order of business is going to be impressions. I watched three things uh, this week. Uh, an older movie that was tra- charting on the iTunes charts a couple of uh, way back when the podcast first started was a movie called Greenland, and it was starring Gerard Butler. And um, it was a movie about like an apocalypse was coming, like uh, like think like impact, um, uh, a comet with like a lot of meteors just coming to Earth, and it's gonna you know basically create a dinosaur level extinction event where it's gonna just hit and just blow everything up and make everything like un like un uninhabitable. And so the movie is about him and his family trying to get to safety. Um, the 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 U.S. government did some kind of secret program where they chose certain people to be the survivors and they need to get to uh, Greenland, which is where the secret uh, underground bunker is that will help survive, survive or um, recall it, help, you know, live through the storm. Basically, you just go deep underground, you live in a bunker, basically let the explosion happen up top and then you come out the bunker after it's safe to come out. And um, honestly, um, I think the movie was successful enough to warrant a sequel. I think there was a week. I think we might have covered a sequel was in the works in this podcast before in, in the previous episode. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, the movie itself was pretty entertaining, and uh, it was a lot of like ups and downs of them just trying to get, you know get to safety and a lot of crazy ass stuff happening where you can just sort of see like the desperation people where like people are just trying to survive and they'll do uh, they'll go through any lengths to survive. And so I think there was an interesting little commentary on that. And um, the, the movie was just kind of crazy in certain regards and certain things that happened, uh, certain actions that could have taken place that would have basically skipped like a good half of the movie from not even happening had one little event just changed. And uh, yeah, there's that. And um, the, mo- the ending, the one thing I will say I didn't like about the movie is that the ending kind of was sped run. Like they were getting towards this part where they were... Um, getting to the ending but the ending was just sort of missing in the certain respect certain regards two fa- twofold number one there were certain scenes that were missing where like they just sort of jump cut to certain things like like um without giving anything away it's like if you were you know you know a car crash is about to happen but instead of showing the car crash you know actually happening you show the beginning of the car crash you know about to unfold and then suddenly you see the car parked in the side of the road, kind of like just sort of crashed into like a ditch or something like that. You just sort of just jump cut and you didn't see the mate, the, the, oh my God, the spinning and like, oh, like they didn't show any of that. And I thought that was a very weird jump cut. It felt like either it was like a really weird editing issue or it was a situation where they didn't have the budget and they didn't shoot it. So they just sort of like glossed over it. There were a lot of moments towards the end where these things were being glossed over and being sped run at the end. And I felt like they were just rushing to end the movie. 
And then also at the end of the movie, that that ending also was a movie in and of itself. I feel like if you were to do a sequel, I would I would like to, uh, you know, they did this this jump cut where it's like nine months later, and then this happened at the end of the movie. And I would have liked to have seen like the those nine months be its own movie, and maybe that would be a good sequel because I feel like there's some interesting, not just drama opportunities, but also some certain leaps in logic that I would have liked. I would like to see you know play out in a movie uh, without giving anything away. Um, so yeah, uh, as far as like overall, like I don't know if I would say it was a good movie. I think it was just an okay movie. So just to give you an idea of how I watched the movie. Um, I went on vacation last week, as I mentioned before, and on vacation, there was, uh, you know, you can watch in-flight movies and stuff like that, and um, when I was watching that movie, it was on an airplane, it was on the way, and it just kind of felt very, I don't know, you know, like, not disposable entertainment, but it kind of just got that feeling of just popcorn fare, and I don't know, I don't think it was really, like, an amazing movie that would just sort of be riveting altogether, I just think that it was just entertainment, so that's how I see it. Um, don't think it's particularly memorable myself. So yeah, I just thought it was all right. Don't know if it's like worth paying, but I think it's on HBO Max. So if you want something to like be entertaining for you, we can put something on. Uh, even in the background, I would say Greenland would be a good pick. And uh, I think the trailer did a better job in the move of setting up the stakes than the actual movie. I feel like the trailer was better than the movie because you just sort of like get those certain like, I don't know, exciting shots going on, whereas the movie is a little bit more drawn out. Um, but yeah, the other movie I watched was Ron, Ron's Gone Wrong. It was the animated movie that I was kind of very sort of anticipating because uh, I like a good animated movie. And the movie I was trying to talk about like last week when I was doing the new releases, like I was wanting to compare it to the Mitchells versus the Machines where it was an animated movie on Netflix and the Mitchells versus the Machines was a very good social commentary about how we as a society are interacting with technology and how, you know, that's... There's a certain unhealthiness that's going on, going around and stuff like that. I feel like Ron's Gone Wrong was trying to do that, that kind of same social commentary. And it's not like, it's not like I don't want social commentary in my kids' movies. I mean, you know, good, good kids, good movies, good films have commentary of some sorts. You know what I mean? Like it's, think like Wally. -E, you know? Um, it's there, but it's also entertaining. Um, I think the Mitchells versus the Machine was just funny and entertaining throughout, and it just sort of had my attention, and it didn't need to, like, I don't know, linger on it. Whereas I, whereas this one, I feel like with Ron's Gone Wrong, since it, it's such a pivotal thing about the movie, um, it just sort of, I don't know, it just sort of lingers too much on it, harps on it too much. I think it's a little preachy at times. Um, and I don't even think it was really that funny or entertaining. Like, it didn't really, I think the Mitchells versus the Machines has it, like, beat out in almost every category. Not just in the commentary department, but also in the, the comedy and then the feelings, the emotional feelings. Like, I think there might have been a part in, in the Mitchells versus the Machines where I was going to cry or something like that. I, could, I vaguely remember, like, just, you know, fighting back the tears. Um, it had a lot of, like, that, that emotional draw. Whereas this movie was going for it, but it was falling short. And I don't know how to explain how it was falling short. I just know that it was. Like, I don't know what you could do to improve the movie. Um, overall, it's a good movie. I would say it's a solid, like, seven or so, you know? Whereas I think The Mitchells versus the, versus the Machines has, like, in the eight or nine category um, is the best way I can explain it. It's really, really weird. I, these two movies, I don't even know if they want to be compared to each other. Um, I'm just sort of making that uh, comparison due to the the premise about technology. And uh, with Ron's Gone Wrong, it's it's in a world where everybody has like their own personal little like robot that looks like one of those Android robots, you know, like the green Android with the little pill. 
And so um, it's a movie about like these kids that have their own little personal robot that's used to help create friends and you know know each other, know your likes and help you live stream and all this other stuff. And yeah, it's basically like this personalized friend, friend robot. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I can want to say about as far as like the, the actual premise itself. Uh, there was one laugh out loud hilarious moment that really made the movie worth it for me in terms of just one comedic beat that was just uh, really a much a, uh, how do I put this, like a cut above the rest. Um, so whereas I mean, it might even have that, it might have been even more hilarious than any one moment in the Mitchells versus the Machines, but because the Mitchells versus the Machines had so many like funny moments, um, you know, equal, uh, you know, qua, quantity wise, I don't know, it's just really hard. To, it's hard to debate those two. Um, so I don't know. I think I had a good time watching it. I took my nephews to go watch it in the movie theaters, and I had a good time uh, myself. Um, it was a fun time at the movies, and um, yeah. Um, I guess I'll just leave it at that. It was a good time at the movies, and uh, it was a good recommendation for me. And um, yeah, go check out Ron's Gone Wrong if you guys are interested in uh, an animated affair. And um, just know that it may not be as funny as the trailers make it out to be. I feel like the trailers were selling a good comedy, whereas this is, uh, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain it. I had a good time, but it's not like I wasn't laughing constantly. So, but yeah. But either way, the the big the big movie that was really on everyone's mind, anyways, is really Dune. Dune is the big movie that opened this weekend. It came out on HBO Max, and I decided to actually you know take the high road and I watched the movie in IMAX. I paid the extra uh, bit of money uh, to go watch it in IMAX, and I'm glad I did because you know certain movies are made for the big screen. And I don't think um, watching it at TV, despite having a really good home theater setup, could really replicate it. And I think that the movie was really well, like, it's like this art piece where it's like you got a canvas and you're just trying to paint with the broadest strokes possible. And the movie was also shot in IMAX, like, like the whole movie was shot in IMAX. But like, uh, like I would say over 50% of the movie was shot with the IMAX format. Um, and for those that you don't know what IMAX is, it's um, it's 70 millimeter film and it's got like a certain aspect ratio. I would say even closer to the aspect ratio on this video. You see how like this picture is a lot more square, like it's like a rectangular square. Uh, it's very tall aspect ratio. That's kind of what the aspect ratio is on like on a on an IMAX screen. And so you have a um, certain screens that like would be very much rectangular and like a and a scope kind of thing. Uh, it's like a certain cinematic widescreen. And so my, for like a lot of the talking scenes, they're shot in like this uh, rectangular talking scene. So you tend to see black on the top and the bottom um, when you're when it's presented in that IMAX screen. So you have a part of a, a huge part of the screen just being unutilized in like those talking scenes. But when there's action scenes, they switch to those IMAX cameras and it fills up the full screen. There is no black on the top and there is no black on the bottom. It's just the full aspect ratio. And geez, it's so good. Like seeing, uh, oh, by the way, the reason why I say over half is because like really, I don't, there wasn't a lot of scenes that just were just a regular rectangular thing. It was just a lot of breathtaking spectacle. Um, uh, like when you see like establishing shots in the planet and you can see so much like detail in like certain planets where there's water and jungle and mountains and uh, sky and clouds all in one shot. And then you see like uh, in the desert planet where they're at and there's like so much different topography and desert and so much 
I don't know, uh, so much uh, establishing shots were going on or in those actions, uh, sweeping action sequences when they were happening, when there's explosions happening everywhere and you just see like this scale, you know? And I think that with, uh, with Dune, like watching it in IMAX was like the way to go. Like it was just so, I don't know, breathtaking. And you can tell with uh, Denis Villeneuve, he was, he's such a auteur and he, he created this spectacle and he shot it in such a like masterful way that it was just so good. Like, I'm not entirely sure that I would ever been able to truly appreciate it that if I watched it on HBO Max. I'm glad I went out of my way to, to watch it that way. And um, one of the things that I notice is like when watching movies at home, like you, I can easily be distracted. This movie, um, when you watch this movie in the theater, it holds your attention because you have to. You have to, you know, be, you know, mind your etiquette when you're in, other, in a theater full of other people. You're not in your living room. And so there were parts where like the movie was a little boring. Um, like, like, not saying that the movie itself was boring, just parts where, like, there was some slow burn happening. And I'm glad I was able to help uh, that movie theater environment help me get through it. And also, not to mention, like, the movie, even in the slow parts, was actually really good because the movie is really, really good at establishing and creating tension. Like, there's a lot of parts where, like, I was just kind of sort of, you know, figuratively at the edge of my seat when watching this movie, when I was, like, sort of, like, pulled into this world and invested in these characters, afraid for these characters' lives, because I'm able to see, you know, what's coming or what's happening or predict certain things. And it's like, even with some of the predictions, I just, you know, just sort of hope that you're wrong. And uh, I think the movie is really good at, you know, establishing uh, tension. It's really good at setting the pace because I was actually kind of used to it. Like the, the pace was really good. It's a slow burn, but it's also feels, it doesn't feel slow either. It's really, it's really hard to explain that. Uh, so good, good, good tone, good pacing, and also um, good acting, good, good action, good everything. Like, honestly, it's such a good, it's a good movie all the way throughout. And it's very good at exposition. Like, this movie, uh, part of the reason why people always say, like, oh, you can't make this move into a movie is because there's so much lore and mythology and so much things. And I don't even know anything about Dune because I never read the books. But uh, despite me not knowing a damn thing about what Dune and its world is like, the movie is really good in, like, the first hour, hour and a half at, like, piecemealing to you certain key knowledge that you need to know so that way you can get going. It's very... Uh, good in uh, in that respect it's good at get, making the audience know what you need to know and they explain it very well and very succinctly and very clear clearly so that you're just you know ready to go and d i was able to follow the the um, i was able to follow the stuff and i'm very glad i did i was i was i was afraid that it was going to just go above my head and it didn't so I just think that this movie is, might be close to a 10. You know, I don't know if there were any movies that I'd give a 10 to, but um, definitely uh, I would say it would be an awards contender. It's, um, you can see how the book would inspire, because uh, the book came first before Star Wars came out, I think by 10 years. So you can see uh, certain similarities between that and the first original Star Wars with Luke Skywalker and everything and, the, and Tatooine. So... Yeah, um, I would say go and watch Dune. Help, uh, help, help it get its sequel, and I'll make make my, help it make money because I want to see, uh, you know, what happens, what how it ends. Because the movie definitely just ends in a cliffhanger. It just sort of just ends suddenly, like uh, cut to black, kind of like the Sopranos finale. It just sort of just ends mid sentence. That's what it feels like uh, because things were only just getting good, and then they ran out of, ran out of time. So. Um, I would like to see where that, their story ends and what happens next and get some uh, 
some closure. So I just kind of feel like it would be like a TV show that doesn't that ends in a cliffhanger season one finale where they're expecting to get a season two, but then they don't. They get canceled. I don't want that to happen. That would be very much like blue balling. Uh, so we don't. Nobody likes that. So, anyways, uh, that being said, uh, we'll go. I'll go ahead and uh, and kick it off to the news. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. A lot of news to cover, and uh, there is. I got four items here to cover, and the first one is very serious. It's like something unlike we've unlike something unlike we've ever covered on this podcast ever before. And it's regarding Alec Baldwin. Uh, a prop gun killed a cinematographer mm-hmm. on Alec Baldwin's film contained a live single round. Union claims. Uh, I'm going to actually just start with this one here. Okay, yeah. Actually, yeah. Let's go ahead and start with this article. I got two articles from Variety. One that sort of gives us like the, the little premise of everything. There's a lot going on here and uh, a lot of stuff that's not said in this article uh, that we can help. Uh, I can help explain and fill in the blanks because... I have this article from Variety here. However, Variety wrote like six or seven articles and they're all updates to each other. And it's really hard to keep track of which one I need to read for this purposes of this article. And there's still um, uh, there's still updates even happening even to this very day, like the day I'm recording the podcast. So I'll sort of try to keep it succinct here. Uh, the prop gun that killed Rust cinematographer uh, uh, Hel- Hel- Helena Hutchins and wounded director Joel Souza on set during during an onset accident of uh, on Thursday's on Thursday contained a live single round according to an email sent by IATSE local 44 to its membership additionally the union says that New Mexico crew members staffed the props set decoration special effects and construction departments on rust not its members quote a live single round was accidentally fired on the set by principal actor hitting both the director of photography um, the cinematographer um, uh, ha- uh, Halina Hutchins and the director, Joel Souza. The union told members both were rushed to the hospital. Unfortunately, we lost sister Hutchins, who passed uh, from the round. Alec Baldwin and star and producer of the Western fired the prop gun, according to Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office. Hutchins, 42, was transported by helicopter to the University of New Mexico Hospital in Albuquerque, where she died. Souza, 48, was taken by ambulance to Christus. St. Vincent Regional Medical Center in Santa Fe, where he received emergency emergency treatment for his injuries. He has subsequently left the hospital. So Rust is an independent feature that was filming at Bonanza Creek Ranch, a popular production uh, location south of Santa Fe. Baldwin was questioned by law enforcement. The sheriff uh, office said in a statement that Hutchins and Souza were shot when a prop firearm was discharged by Alec Baldwin, who is 68 years old, who was the producer and an actor. The production company initially reported on Thursday afternoon that the incident involved blanks, but the sheriff's officer later said that it was too soon to determine what type of round was used. Um, Yeah, and it was basically like an actual 45 caliber round, which is a big, fat bullet, kind of heavy. So uh, this was another update written by um, Variety. Alec Baldwin's um, on Helena Hutchins' death. There are no words to convey my shock and sadness. Alec Baldwin has released a statement on Twitter regarding the shooting incident on the set of Rust, which in which a discharged a uh, in which he discharged a prop firearm, killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins and injuring director Joel Souza. Quote: There are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, wife, 
mother, and deeply admired colleague of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred, and I am in touch with her husband, offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who, who knew and loved um, Helena. On Thursday evening, the Santa Fe uh, office confirmed that Baldwin had fired the prop gun that led to Hutchins' death and Susan's injury on the set of Rust and an independent film that Baldwin is acting in and producing. So basically what ended up happening was, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a bit of a, a TLDR on the, the situation. So basically, uh, from all the various sources that I've been reading, not just Variety, because there's multiple stories that are reporting on this thing, uh, basically, Rust is a uh, it's is a type of production that is very much a low bu a low budget. Very, it's, I think they have like different tiers. They call it. I think it's called a tier one pr uh, production budget or, or tier one production. And tier one essentially means that it's very cheap. It's very low budget. It's very like damn near no money. So there's two things that I play here. They uh, the 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 budget didn't allow for certain expenditures to be done, and so they were cutting corners at everywhere they can. Um, and certain corners that they cut were certain certified people that were certified to safely handle firearms. And uh, so they got certain people to do these jobs and take on multiple job titles, some of which are, have no experience in in doing that. Um, they also even got uh, non-union members that as you. Ayatsi was talking about in the in the in the article. Um, they were how do I put this? They were non-union in the sense that if Ayatsi were to go on strike, which we covered in a previous episode of the podcast, saying hey there might be a strike coming, they wouldn't be affected because they're non-union. And so they're trying to over you know circumnavigate that as well as also um, getting certain people that aren't uh, equipped to handle the job to handle certain jobs. And uh, that was like a recipe for disaster. And uh, basically, when you have a gun and you're, you're having certain safety people, uh, certain safety protocols in place, they're supposed to like, you know, say what kind of gun it is. And they hand the gun to Alec Baldwin saying cold gun. Cold gun means it's been cleared. It's no, 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 no live rounds. It's a cold gun. And so I guess during the rehearsal of the scene, um, Alec Baldwin shot the, the, the gun, thinking that it was clear and not, you know, not loaded. And in doing so, he shot and killed the cinematographer. And I guess the, I guess it went through their chest and then it went through, through the cinematographer to the director. And I believe it hit the director on the shoulder. And so he was able to get treated for it, the, direct, the director, but the cinematographer was the one that passed away. And so it is very tragic and it's crazy. And I wouldn't have never thought we would be covering these kind of situations. I would have hoped that, you know, gun safety is like a thing that's been, um, I don't know, fixed when it comes to Hollywood productions, um, especially even when you think about what happened with Brandon Lee and the movie The Crow. Um, you know, it's kind of like, when did The Crow first come out? In the 80s? Let me see here. I'm going to look at this up because I don't even know. The Crow release date. Uh, 90s. So it came out in 1994. Okay. So May of 1994, The Crow came out. So I guess early in 90s, 93 ish, 92, depending on when it was in production. But that was when when Brandon Lee died. And so, you know, I just it just sucks. And um, there's even a story that came out uh, today. Uh, there's an ABC drama called the the Rookie 
so ABC's drama, The Rookie, bans live gunfire on the set, uh, on set in the wake of the fatal Rust shooting. So following um, Thursday's uh, deadly shooting on the set of Alec Baldwin's Rust, ABC's The Rookie has banned live guns on the set moving forward. Showrunner Alexi Hawley announced that new policy in a memo to staff on Friday, first obtained by The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Deadline has confirmed uh, Hawley wrote the memo, and the policy has been implemented by producer Entertainment One and ABC Signature. Quote, as of today, it is now the policy of the rookie that all gunfire will uh, will that all gunfire on set will be airsoft guns with CG muzzle flashes added in post. Post-production, Holly wrote, there will be no more live weapons on the show. The safety of our cast and crew is too important. Any risk is uh, any risk is too much risk. Airsoft guns are replica toy guns used in airsoft sports. So yeah, that's actually kind of um, an interesting like little take there because you know CGI has come to the point where it's very easy to add certain like you know like the muzzle flash fires, uh, sound effects. You know, um, sound editors, sound mixers can add that sound very you know convincingly in post-production so i don't know why you would need to use um like even like blanks like when you use blanks by the way um blanks are also dangerous too uh for for two reasons number one it's a real gun it is an actual real gun but just the bullets in there are just blanks so uh the thing is like you can't you also don't want to shoot blanks near somebody because uh, blanks still have so much air pressure coming out, so it can actually still hurt you if you fire a blank near someone. You can even still get the effects of an actual gunshot uh, wound. Um, so that's part of like certain safety training that actors have to undergo when doing certain movies um, as well. So um, anyways, that being said, um, I'm just surprised that that's not already like an inter- in an industry standard. And it sucks that this has come to this where uh, a director of cinematography who's just there doing their job, you know, help filming a scene or setting up a, a scene to be shot. And, you know, they got shot. It's just like, holy shit. And um, and I could just, you know, it sucks for Alec Baldwin, too, because he's going to have to live with that. You know, he's whether he gets criminally charged or not, which I don't know if he will be because, you know, He's not, I don't know how much of a gun expert Alec Baldwin himself, like the, the person is like, does, does Alec Baldwin know how to clear a gun? You know, do, do, I could tell you this, normal everyday people don't know how to clear a gun. Uh, I do because I have a gun and I've been, you know, I train myself in gun safety. Um, but not everyone does. And I'm not sure what kind of, uh, what kind of training he's gone to, but he's basically, he's basically going to have to live with the fact that he killed someone. Like, even if it was an accident, he's gonna, there was a picture floating around, like, on social media of just him just looking, like, distraught, and you can sort of see that just, that holy shit realization, you know, that's just, like, it's really hard, and I just can't, uh, I just can't imagine that, really, it's just heartbreaking, and, yeah, I don't know what else to say other than, um, you know, silver lining, things are changing, Um, things will change, and, um, that's really all you can really, uh, you know, see is like the silver lining in certain tragedies, you know, what changes, what can we do going forward to ensure that this kind of thing never happens again. And I'm surprised that that hasn't already happened with the Brandon Lee incident. So in the nineties, so, but yeah, that's, that's really all I want to say on that one. Um, I'll go ahead and move it along to something more, uh, uh, more lightening of the mood here. And this comes from Variety as well. 
and it says that Marvel or Disney has delayed uh, Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, Black Panther sequel, and Indiana Jones 5. Basically, the entire Marvel slate of films has been postponed. Um, Marvel fans prepared to wait a little bit longer to see Doctor Strange, Thor, and Black Panther return to theaters. Disney has released uh, has delayed release plans for the several upcoming films, um, including Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness from March 25th to May 6th, Thor Love and Thunder from May 6th to July 8th, and Black Panther Wakanda Forever from July 8th to November 11th. With the Black Panther sequel jumping to November, the Marvels has been postponed to early 2023, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was bumped from February 17th to, uh, to July 28th, 2023. Along with the deluge of Marvel delays, uh, Disney has moved the, in, the fifth Indiana Jones installment uh, back nearly a year. The still untitled film starring Harrison Ford as the fedora-wearing swashbuckling archaeologist will open on June 30th, 2023, instead of July 29th, 2022. That is basically a whole one-year delay right there. You're basically, a, that's an 11-month delay. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, the, the major release date shuffle has comes after the Marvel Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings cemented its place as a pandemic-era box office hit ahead of the Eternals, uh, the MCU entry that is scheduled for November 5th. The scheduling overhaul is related to production and not box office returns, so that's good. Um, uh, according to sources at Disney, the, ne the next Black Panther entry, for one, is still filming in Atlanta since Marvel has become an interconnected and meticulously planned universe which spans dozens of films and several new television series. Any production delay can cause a domino effect on the rest of the franchises. Um, as for Indiana Jones, the 79-year-old uh, Ford sustained a shoulder injury on the set in June, requiring the actor to take a break from filming while he healed. Though director James Mangold continued to shoot without Ford, there are a limited amount of scenes that don't involve the adventurer. Ford has since recovered and returned to the set. Four untitled 2023 movies from Marvel, 20th Century, and Disney Live Action Division has been removed from the calendar, while one untitled Marvel movie was re relocated from November 10th to November 3rd, 2023. So, yeah, this is like a little bit of a rundown here on there, um, basically giving us everything that's been moved. And I got to say, there's, um, it sucks. I'm glad that, the, uh, that the, the delay isn't part of like, oh, we don't believe in the box office prospects or, you know, we're delaying things or whatever. Like, um, you know, between Venom and Shang-Chi, we've sort of proven that films can be hits in the box office. Um, it's more of a situation where they just um, need to, they can't really promise certain movies would be ready on time. Um, and when you can't promise that, if you're having production hiccups, production delays, if COVID is fucking things up or an actor gets injured or something like that, and, you know, every, everybody has to move one down one slot. And that's basically what they did is they moved, everybody moved down one slot and took each other's spots. Um, the only one that didn't get moved, I believe, was Guardians of the Gal Galaxy Volume 3. It still has its May 2022 or 23. I don't forget which year, but it still has its May release date of the year it's scheduled for. I believe it might be May 2023. I don't think they'd get it out this May. I doubt. No, it's not because Doctor Strange. Okay, yeah. So it's May 2023. Um, yeah. So with that being said, um, I, I as, as a Marvel fan, it sucks, you know, especially with how, you know, how much of a, a, a like a momentum they've been gaining with uh, all the releases. You know, you have 
Spider-Man No Way Home, which is supposedly like leading right into Doctor Strange. And so you get the movie coming out in December and then you can have a movie coming out in March and then it's like, oh yes, perfect. But I think it's more of like a, what is it, like a six week delay or something like that. So it's going to go, instead of coming out in late March, it's coming out in early May. So yeah, I think with certain movies, uh, certain movies didn't got like smaller delays than the others. So yeah, whatever. Uh, go ahead and keeping it on uh, with uh, with Marvel, we have uh, this comes from uh, Geeks Worldwide. I've never heard of this outlet, but they were the first one to break the story. Other outlets, such as Screen Rant, have reported on the story, and then they would always cite this story as like the uh, um, the, the the main one. So, anyways. Uh, this this one says World War Hulk movie slated to begin production in 2022, and it says buckle up, Hulk fans. She Hulk isn't the whole only Hulk related content coming in the uh, in the next few years. The the geeks worldwide has learned that a Hulk movie is on the way, and it's currently being uh, called World War Hulk. Yes, we are finally uh, we are finally have. We are finally have a new solo Hulk film. That is a terribly. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and re re uh, read that as it should read. Uh, yes, we are finally having a new solo Hulk film in active development at Marvel Studios, and we are told it is currently slated to start production in late 2022, uh, likely following the events of the upcoming She-Hulk series on Disney Plus. While She-Hulk plans to further expand on the Hulk mythos and a cast of characters via streaming, this movie news might be confusing to some readers due to the rumored status of the Hulk's film rights. The reason why Hulk only has one movie so far is because the film rights formerly belong to Universal Pictures. However, if our source is accurate, which luckily they have been, a new Hulk film means that Marvel Disney has regained the rights to and World War Hulk may only be the first in the series of Hulk films to come. I also hope that we have learned that by now that this won't be a full-blown adaptation of the comic, but will likely play, play on the idea of a world uh, ruled by Hulks or even a war between them. Purely speculation. However, according to a rumor from early 2020, from early 2020, Hulk's rights have been reverted back to Marvel Studios. This means that now Marvel Studios is now allowed to develop solo projects focusing on the character. These are pretty exciting news since the first and only MCU Hulk movie, The Incredible Hulk, came out in 2008, 13 years ago. It was only the only Phase 1 movie to not have a sequel, but this that is about to change. What we know so far... While we do not know much about the movie, we can confirm that it will likely start production later in 2022. As for when it will come out, based on the production dates, my guess would be either late 2023 or early to mid-2024. As always, these dates can change, especially with um, the ever-changing state of Hollywood. But regardless, Hulk will always be elite. Hulk will be leading his own big-screen film once again uh, very soon. So, there it is. The, that's interesting. Um... I'm not sure if I believe this one, uh, simply because I mean, like, you know, we knew I know about the whole Universal uh, film rights situation, and I don't know if it if it's a situation where if a movie doesn't get made within a certain amount of time, then the the rights revert back. It's kind of like what happened with Daredevil um, and like the Fantastic Four, I believe it might have been the Fantastic Four before the Fox deal went. I don't know. Um, but I know certain characters reverted back to to Marvel uh, before. Um, they reverted back to Marvel because uh, there wasn't a movie in production um, after so much time. Uh, that's part of the reason why Sony kept on making Spider-Man movies constantly, even rebooting it with Andrew Garfield. Um, it's just so that way that they don't revert back to Marvel, so that their time frame is constantly being done. Um, so, yeah. 
as far as um, World War Hulk, I mean, like, that would be an interesting storyline because, you know, you already had him on Sakaar in that were Ragnarok, and I think there was, like, a way to parlay that into, you know, World War Hulk, but now that's not really a thing since he's back on Earth and he's, you know, possibly Bruce Banner, according to a post credit sequence that happened earlier on a recent film. So, yeah, I don't know if I would want to go with World War Hulk as a story. Like, I want to see uh, what happens with, like, Hulk and on, on Earth because we haven't seen Betty Ross in forever, and it's really interesting that they sort of, like, nixed Betty Ross as a love interest and made, like, Black Widow the love interest for Hulk. It's just really weird. Um, but, yeah, that's... Uh, i am never heard of this outlet, I'm surprised so many outlets picked up on this story, and um, including other YouTube channels that I watch. Um, not sure if um, if this is going to happen. I would be very interested. I would like to see. I mean, like I think Hulk's popularity has never been more big as it ever has been, as far as like what happened with what Avengers One did for Hulk. You know, he he warranted his own solo movie right after Avengers One. Uh, so I hope that his popular his popularity hasn't waned. So yeah. Um, as far as like the storyline, like I said, not sure if I would have wanted to adapt that one. I think that's something you do later on. I kind of want to see, you know, what would, uh, you know, Red Hulk or, um, even the, what was it? The leader, like, like that, what happened with the, the leader in the first Hulk movie where they just sort of didn't really pay that off. You know what I mean? Like certain plot threads that just never went anywhere because of, you know, what happened with Hulk. So anyways, uh, and last story here. Uh, some Time Warner uh, media executives never liked the name HBO Max. The Discovery deal will give them a chance to change it. This comes from CNBC. Um, some key points here. It says that several top Warner media executives, including CEO Jason Kalar, never liked HBO Max as a name for the company's streaming service. AT&T CEO John Stanky and then Warner Media Chairman Bob uh, Greenblatt named the service HBO Max to highlight the product's premium HBO content, but the service has a lot more non-HBO content than it did. Merging with Discovery will give a new company uh, leader, David Zaslav, a chance to uh, change the service's name if it includes Discovery content. You know, honestly, the key points probably did all this, the work for me, but basically, um, I'll just leave it at the key points that this, uh, this article just gives us at the bullet points at the top. Uh, basically, yeah. Um, executives, some executives don't like the name HBO Max. So since uh, right now AT&T is the company that owns uh, Warner Media, AT&T is selling off the division of Warner Media off and Discovery is buying it slash merging with it. So now we have a, Dis a Discovery HBO merger happening. And then with that, um, Discovery CEO is going to be the new top brass over there at HBO or, or Warner Media. And so it would be his call to make. And so basically they're hoping that J uh, the new uh, David Zaslav is going to be the new guy in town and he's going to rename HBO Max for them since he can change it and, you know, the content will be different, you know, or, or sorry, additive to like discovery stuff. So, yeah, I would be interested. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would be interested. Like, I'm already used to the name HBO Max. I think that works for me. Um, the old uh, monikers of HBO Go and HBO Now, they've been long been phased out and discontinued. So there really isn't any brand, um, what do you call it, uh, confusion anymore. There's no more brand confusion about what HBO Max is like it was when it first launched. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Like, does it make sense to call it Warner Warner Brothers Plus or something like that or whatever? Like, make it more, like, wholesale, you know, kind of thing? Because, I don't know, is HBO, like, the 
you know, the big thing that people think about anymore. Uh, you know, cable has sort of gone by the wayside. So, yeah, I'm just a little, I'm a little, uh, I say confused. I'm a little, like, hesitant. Like, I don't know how I feel about HBO Max's rebranding. I mean, like, for CBS All Access, I didn't really like that name. And I'm glad that CBS All Access rebranded itself as Paramount+. Plus. So there is, uh, there is uh, something to say about uh, a naming, you know? I mean, like, branding, naming, those things are, you know very uh important to uh the success i mean if we don't if you want to exhibit a for that point to be proven just look at peacock you know what i mean so that's name's got to be changed if anything i would i'd be more down for a peacock name change than an hbo max name change <laughs> so yeah uh i think i think this uh this merger is not set to happen until like next summer i think it's still pending so it'll be a while so it's very unfortunate that I will not be able to report on this uh, in the future, but yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead and move on to the extra news. Number one, Brendan Fraser joins the Batgirl movie as the villain. Number two, Hayden Christensen returns as Darth Vader in Ahsoka series. Number three, Guardians of the, Vol- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has begun production. Number four, Russell Crowe and Zac Efron to, to start production on a film called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Number five, Mel Gibson joins John Wick prequel, The Continental. Number six, IATSE Hollywood strike averted by last minute deal. All right, cool. I got to uh, close the book on another saga that we were following. Uh, Number seven, Vin Diesel walked Paul Walker's daughter, Meadow Walker, down the aisle for her wedding because family. And number eight, Dune's sequel has officially been greenlit and has an October 20th, 2023 release date. Yeah, yeah, so uh, this was actually announced like hours ago, the day of recording, like this day. So had I recorded last night on like the normal usual time when I put it out, if I had put it out on audio listeners this morning, I would not have been able to include that as extra news, uh, especially because this is the last time I'm doing news. So it's good to, it's good to end on a high note. Number nine, Ryan Gosling is in talks to play Ken opposite Margot Margot Robbie's Barbie in Warner Brothers and Mattel's movie. Okay, number 10. Despite being low in movie news, DC fandom got 66 million views worldwide. Number 11. Emily Blunt in talks to star in Christopher Nolan's next movie, Oppenheimer. And number 12. um, Actually, not number and but just number 12 i'm gonna do a little trailer roundup here since i'm not doing check this out i'm just gonna just give you guys the list of all the trailers or sorry not all some of the trailers that came out this week um uncharted the new uncharted trailer came out with tom holland and mark Wahlberg. uh a new trailer for the dwayne johnson ryan reynolds gal gadot movie uh red notice came out uh kevin smith's documentary clerk not to confuse not to be confused with clerks uh, or, you know, Clerks 2 or whatever, but just called Clerk. Uh, so a Kevin Smith documentary film, Clerk, as came out, a uh, trailer for that. Uh, and also another trailer, um, Jake Gyllenhaal, Yahya Abdul-Mateen. Uh, the movie is called Ambulance, and it's directed by Michael Bay. And finally, a Sandra Bullock, uh, Sandra Bullock Netflix film called The Unforgivable. So that's the trailer roundup right there. I'm not going to put a link to any of those in the description, just... Put them in the search bar and find them right there. And finally, number 13, the box office report. 
Uh, Dune debuts at number one with $41 million. Uh, Ron's Gone Wrong opened at number five with $7.3 million. And The French Dispatch debuts at number nine with $1.3 million, but takes the, the top spot in the per theater average due to only releasing in 52 theaters. So I'm going to pull up the chart here um, just to give you guys a bit of a better thing. As you can see, Dune, $41 million. Um, it, it was in 4,100 uh, locations, 4,100 uh, theater locations right there. Um, which with that $41 million gross with 4,100 theaters, your, your, your average theater made about $9,900 per theater. You know, that's the average. So the French Dispatch came in at $1.3 million, but only 52 locations carried that. So if you divide the 1.3 uh, divided by 52, that means each location roughly made $25,000 uh, per theater. And it is the highest... Uh, per theater gross, as you can see in this entire chart, the, uh, the second place was actually Dune at 9,000. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting that even like when you come to like, like low, uh, like low uh, number of locations, like like a smaller opening, you can get that high theater average. So you can see like whoever whoever had the French Dispatch on their location must have had packed houses, like packed sold out shows or whatever. So, um, so I looked at my local listings. Uh, the French Dispatch was not available. Uh, for me to watch in any um, location uh, near me. So I believe they're going to do like a, sl a small rollout. And as the award season continues, they'll go wider. Uh, so the a wide release will probably come later on in the future. Uh, but for now, it's in limited release. So um, yeah, that's going to be it for the extra news. Um, don't know if I have anything to say really about any of the news that that uh that came out i'm just sort of looking at it and i feel like almost everything just sort of speaks for itself i'm not really uh um not really sure if i want to comment do any commentary on any of the these extra news items um so yeah i'll go ahead and just keep it moving we'll go ahead and move it on to netflix and chill so for netflix and chill uh this will be the last time i get to do the charts with you guys it's uh it's just sort of becoming very real. Like the idea that this show is ending is is crazy. So for the last time, uh, I'll be going over the charts of what's popular on Netflix, Amazon, and iTunes, and I'll be giving you one last recommendation uh, about what you can watch on a streaming service right now. Uh, so and the top ten things on Netflix. Uh, number one is You, and number two is Squid Game. Number three is Lock and Key, which had its new season debut. So it's very interesting that it debuted at number three instead of the top spot. Uh, number four is Made. Number five is Inside Job, which is a Netflix original. I don't think it's, it's not a, like the, the inside, inside Man, like uh, the Denzel Washington movie. Uh, number six is Riverdale. Number seven is Coco Melon. It never leaves the charts. Uh, number eight is Maya and the Three. Number nine is Shameless. And number 10 is Night Teeth. Uh, the top 10 movies on Netflix. Now, what's interesting is that in the last chart, they were combined between movies and, and shows. It turns out number 10, Night Teeth, was the only movie on Netflix because everything else was a show. And so number one is Night Teeth on Netflix. Number two is The Forgotten Battle. Number three is King Arthur, which is that old, not old, but a semi-recent movie that came out. Um, and I heard it was... I heard uh, some bad things about the movie, so I don't know if it was like when it came out theatrically or whatever. So number three is King Arthur. Number four is Going in Style. Number five is Reprisal. Number six 
this movie sucks. I don't know why, but Scary Movie 4 is at number six. That movie wasn't, like, the last good scary movie was the first 30 minutes of Scary Movie 3. And then everything else has been just garbage. Uh, number seven is My Little Pony, A New Generation. Number eight is Step Brothers, hilarious-ass film. Like, just really good. Uh, number nine is Titanic. And number ten is DreamWorks Home. So, yeah, that's gonna... I don't know. I just... It's really hard to, like, say, to look at these things and say, oh, this is going to be some good stuff or whatever, because, uh, I don't know, man, I just, it's sort of, like, uh, hitting me that this show's ending. Uh, number, the top ten things on iTunes, number one is Free Guy, number two is Old, number three is After We Fell, number four is The Protégé, and the reason why it's back on the list or we're climbed to the top of the list is because it has entered his rental window, so it's gone down to, like, five ninety nine, uh, since it's no longer in that premium uh price point anymore uh number five is the green knight number six is the night house number seven is black widow which i think also entered its rental window as well uh number eight is the suicide squad and finally at number nine is f9 the fast saga so i've been wanting to say that for a while uh number 10 is werewolves within uh yeah so it's um it's interesting i don't know i never heard of after we fell i even like read the synopsis and i was like not really interested but yeah um it's a bit of a an also ran here for the iTunes charts. Nothing exciting happening there. Um, the same thing I would say for the at least something a little bit more exciting uh, on the Amazon Prime charts here. Number one is Free Guy. Number two is F9: The Fast Saga. Number three is The Protege. Number four is A Quiet Place Part Two. Number five is Old. Number six is Black Widow. Number seven is Candyman. Number eight is Cop Shop, which I believe is like the Cop Shop is the Gerard Butler movie and. Um, it's, it's, uh, I heard it was good. I heard a lot of good things about it. So it's a good place to discover the movie when it's on the, on the, on iTunes and Amazon right now. Um, I would say maybe wait for the rental window because right now it's, I think it's on the premium. So I think you only pay for 20 bucks for it. So if you want to wait for it to hit that five ninety nine price point, you know, check out Cop Shop. Uh, number nine is Old Henry and number 10 is The Forever Purge. So yeah, with that, all that out of the way, it's time to give my last recommendation. And it's really hard. It's really hard because I don't know what to recommend. Like, what do I do for my final recommendation uh, to sort of like, you know, end it on a high note? I've been doing some recommendations where, you know, I give you guys some very good deep cuts, you know, something like from like before, like when I found like Enter the Dragon on Netflix or like the Truman Show on YouTube, you know, things like some interesting like films that from from a from a bygone era that people don't really talk about. It's a really good movie, and like you know, I just I I just it's hard to say to do something so all encompassing where it's like a timeless classic that you need to check out. You know, it's really you know hard to say to like what could be that what would I give the final honor to when it comes to one last recommendation. So I decided to go with uh, Leon the Professional, and you can find it on Netflix. I wanted my last Netflix and chill recommendation to be on Netflix. Um, and also, you should check out Leon the Professional. It's not owned by Netflix. I think it's being licensed, so it will eventually leave Netflix. Um, it only recently got on Netflix this month in October. Um, it was on, it was previously on HBO Max, like maybe last year or, or earlier this year. I forgot when. Uh, so Leon the Professional did leave HBO Max, and now it's on Netflix. So you can watch it there. And um, it is is starring Jean Reno, uh, Gary Oldman, and Natalie Portman when she was a child actress. Um, and it is about uh, 
a professional. He's a professional assassin. John Reno plays an assassin and um, named Leon. And he is taken on, like, the due to circumstances, he's essentially adopted a little girl um, and played by Natalie Portman. And so she's learning his ways of being a badass and an assassin and all that other stuff. So it's a very good movie. I think it's... Uh, very not say underrated because i don't know if i don't hear people ever talk about that movie it's like it's like a it's like a very um it's like a movie that people should have on their list of things that they've watched i think it's uh i think it's really well done it's it's got certain scenes that you just sort of i don't know it's it's sort of some scenes that stick with me even to this day like when i think about like just the simple act of knocking on a door or just how much milk they drank and stuff like that so um yeah definitely worth a watch Check it out on Netflix. I didn't see it ever hit the charts, even when it did come to Netflix in October. So uh, definitely worth checking out. And uh, that would be my final recommendation to you guys, is to go watch, uh, go watch Leon the Professional. And with that out of the way, let's do one last roundup of new releases. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, so for the new releases, it is, uh, I'm going to be reading to you guys the four things that are coming out this week, and I'll give you guys, of course, the, uh, the pick of the week. Uh, first up is Last Night in Soho. It comes out on October 29th in theaters. An aspiring fashion designer is mi mysteriously able to answer the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker. The film stars Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, and Terrence Stamp. Next up is Antlers. Comes out in theaters on October 29th. This movie has been delayed a lot due to COVID. Um, it's a star, a, the synopsis reads, A small-town Oregon teacher and her brother, the local sheriff, discover that a young student is harboring a dangerous secret with frightening consequences. The film stars Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, Jeremy T. Thomas, Graham Greene, Scott Hayes, and Rory Co Cochran. Um, it is a horror movie, and that creature looks fucking dope from that trailer, so... Uh, next up is Army of Thieves. In the prequel to Army of the Dead, a mysterious woman recre recruits bank teller Dieter to assist in a heist of impossible to crack safes, safes across Europe. The film stars Matthias uh, Schwa, I'm not going to even try it, Schwagoer, Nat Natalie Emanuel from the Fast and the Furious franchise, Guz Khan, Ruby Ophie, Stuart Martin, and Jonathan Cohen. And finally, for the new releases, Paranormal Activity Next of Kin comes out on October 29th on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, by the way, in case I didn't say that, Army of Thieves is on Netflix. Paramount, uh, Paranormal Activity, Paramount+. Plus. Um, although Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, was promoted as the final installment in the original series, Paramount Pictures announced in June 2019 that a, sev a seventh installment was in development with Jason Blum and franchise creator Oren Pelly. The film uh, follows a young woman trying to discover what happened with her mother who disappeared years ago until she discovers a terrifying truth about her mother's past. Um, and it's serving as a seventh installment and a reboot of the Paranormal Activity series. The film stars Emily Batter, Roland Buck III, uh, Dan Lippert, Henry Aries Brown, and Tom Nowitzki. None of these actors, I know who they are. Um, so 
they are a bunch of no-name actors from the looks of it. And finally, a public service announcement. I completely forgot to cover that in the Injustice animated movie came out last Tuesday on October 19th on digital and Blu-ray. So uh, go check out Injustice, um, in, you know, in case you wanted to watch that. Um, so my pick of the week has got to be... It's got to be last night in Soho. I think that was like the big, the big uh, vehicle, big star vehicle for Anya Taylor Joy. It looks, it was a very cool trailer. Uh, directed, is it directed by Edgar Wright here? Let me see here. Last night in Soho, director. Ah, director. Oh yeah, there we go. Edgar Wright. I was right about that one. Ha <laughs> ha. Right. Uh, so yeah, Edgar Wright is directing that movie, and he's a talented director. And um, yeah, I would say check that one out. And if not, if you are more of a stay-at-home kind of person, check out Army of Thieves. Um, I like the Safecracker character in Army, uh, Army of the Dead, so I'm glad he's getting his own solo movie. It's really interesting that he's getting his same, the solo movie the same year that Army of, the, Army of the Dead came out. So I'm guessing that they figured out during production that he was going to be the breakout character that everyone loved. So it's obviously got to be a prequel because of what happened in Army of the Dead. So yeah. Um, all right. With that being said, it's time to wrap up the show. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain um, It is time to end. Thank you so much for joining us or joining me for another episode of Ready Play Movies. Rem remember, you can reach the podcast. Actually, you can't. Can't reach the podcast. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Chakalaka88. And I really want to implore you guys to follow me there on Twitter because every single time I do anything on any YouTube channel, whether it be my own or on Level 1 Gaming's channel, anything I write, anything I review, um, anything that I do, I put it on my Twitter. If you want to follow any of the work that I do or, you, you know, you like, my, you like me for my sparkling personality, you can follow me there on Twitter. And, uh, yeah. And I, I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much to everyone for uh, being a part of the journey with me and anyone who watched every episode or listened to every episode, whatever. Um, or if this is your first episode, you know, hey, there it is. Um, yeah, so from the bottom of my heart, I really thank you. I'll be back here uh, next week to say one more goodbye. And this time on the video box next to me, I'll, I'll have Troy by my side. And, you know, we can say one good heartfelt goodbye to you guys and all the listeners. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for the support and everything. So um, until then, um, I'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.